All right, well, good morning again, everybody. Welcome, whether you're here in the room or watching us on Facebook or YouTube. By the way, she mentioned subscribing to those channels. Uh, Thursday, uh, the tech team said, hey, we've got 997 subscribers on YouTube. We need to get it to 1,000. So I sent a text to the staff and to some other people. And within seconds, we got that thing over 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, so uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to YouTube, go ahead and do that. And uh, let's get that 1,000 to 2,000. All right? Okay, good. Well, you can turn your, uh, in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Summer in the Psalms, that's our series for the majority of the summer. We've already looked at Psalm number one. We've looked at Psalm 19. We've looked at Psalm 139 and Psalm 78. And today we're going to be studying Psalm 23. Now, of all the 150 Psalms, there is no Psalm that is quoted as much, recited, memorized, inscribed on cards, displayed on walls as Psalm 23. It's likely the most recognizable passage in the Old Testament and probably cracks the top five list of the whole Bible. And so uh, it's universally known and even many non-Christians can recite to you Psalm 23. St. Augustine called it the martyr's hymn because so many Christians recited Psalm 23 as they were brought out to be tortured for Christ and ultimately murdered. President Abraham Lincoln often referred to this psalm during his deep days of depression as he sought the Lord for wisdom during the Civil War. President George W. Bush recited it to our nation that was reeling and confused after the terror attacks of September 11, 2001. It's a psalm simple enough that a child can grasp, yet it's so deep that a theologian could get wrapped up in it for a lifetime. And for 3,000 years, Psalm 23 has been bringing comfort to millions and millions of God's people. I tell you what, let's do. Let's do this. Everybody stand. Let's do that. We're going to read this psalm together out loud. Uh, it might be a little bit trans different translation than what you grew up with, but here's the English standard version. Let's read it together out loud. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the Psalms. Uh, filled with songs and prayers that still encourage us today. We thank you that you are our good shepherd. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal something to us. I pray for a customized word for every single person in the room today. We open our spiritual ears so we can receive from you today. We are ready, each and every one of us, to hear from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you're seated, just look at the one next to you. Tell them how 
how good they smell. Man, you smell good. What is that? And you can be seated. <laughs> One of the things I like about our church is we've got a whole variety of professions represented. And I wonder um, if we have any farmers here today. We have farmers that attend our church. A few of them raised their hand in the first service. Any farmers uh, here in the second service? You farm as uh, your profession. Most of you would have gotten up early and, and came to the early service anyways, right? <laughs> uh, uh, any shepherds? We have any shepherds? Uh, how, about, uh, how about FFA or 4-H? Any of, any of y'all have participated in that? Come on, y'all need to get outside. <laughs> My goodness. Well, I actually have a trophy uh, I brought to the office and I took a picture of it this morning. I wanted to show you on the screen. Uh, I keep this trophy in my garage. Uh, it is from 1960, therefore it is not my trophy. Uh, but it is my dad's trophy. He won this best in class for raising a female sheep from 1960 when he was in FFA, Future Farmers of America in Texas uh, for raising a sheep. And uh, so just thought you might wanna see that. And if you're watching uh, Mimi and Papa, good job, Dad. I didn't know you back then, but I'm sure proud of you for raising that sheep. But most of us in 21st America, 21st century America, we're pretty unfamiliar with the relationship between a shepherd and sheep. It's a very uh, uncommon profession today. Now there is a bond that they tell us that, that happens, that takes place between sheep and its shepherd. And this may not be a perfect comparison, but another animal that would be similar to that would be a good dog. Right? A good dog knows your voice. A good dog uh, follows you physically, follows you around. A good dog, uh, when you call its name, will come to you and will be happy to come to you. It's really cool. Now, the direct opposite of this close and friend friendly relationship would be that of your cat. Right? <laughs> A cat doesn't care for you at all. When you call them by name, they just glare at you with that cold, empty stare. Cat lovers, you know I'm teasing you. I'm kidding. Well, the author of Psalm 23 was certainly aware of the relationship between sheep and shepherd because he himself was a shepherd. The author of this psalm, of course, is David, son of Jesse from Bethlehem, who came from a whole family, a whole line of shepherds. In fact, one of the first times that we were introduced to David, Samuel the prophet, he's going throughout Israel and God directs him to Jesse. And he says, hey, bring out your sons. I'm gonna anoint the next king of Israel. And they forgot to bring out David and said, Samuel said, so Jesse, don't you have another son? We do. And where was he at? He was in the fields tending to the sheep. So David really understands this relationship between sheep and shepherd. The picture of God being our shepherd is one of the most beautiful and comforting metaphors that we find in the Bible. Isaiah wrote of some of the characteristics of God as our shepherd in chapter 40, verse 11. It says this, talking about God, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
What a beautiful picture of our shepherd. Now, they, they say that sheep don't or can't really care for themselves well at all. It's very vulnerable. The chances of it surviving are greatly diminished without the care and the attention of the shepherd. In fact, they, they require more care and attention than just about any other livestock animal. That might be why the Bible describes you and me as sheep over 200 times in the scripture. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have what? Yeah, we've gone astray. We've all gone our own way. That's what sheep tend to do. They tend to wander out of the fold from time to time. They need a shepherd to love and care for them and to show them back on the right path. And Psalm 23 describes God as a shepherd who cares, who is concerned for his sheep. Let's look again at verse one. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Again, David knew firsthand what it was like to be a shepherd, to protect, to provide for the sheep. And he describes his relationship with God in, the, in those terms. So what David was to his sheep, he says, God was to him. And he doesn't describe God in some broad, generic, common way. He doesn't say, the Lord is a shepherd. No, it's way more personal to David than that, isn't it? He, he is intentional by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. It's almost as if David is bragging about the fact that God is my shepherd. One of the favorite things I like to hear as a dad uh, is when my kids don't know I'm around and I can overhear them and they're talking to their friends or some other people or whatever and, and I'll overhear them say something like this, yeah, that's my dad. That's my father. That's my daddy. It's like they're proud of the fact that I get to be their dad. David said, the Lord is my Shepherd. You can almost hear it in his tone. He takes great pleasure and satisfaction that the Lord is his shepherd. Now we know that God is the great creator and caretaker of the entire universe. He has billions of galaxies that he needs to take care of. There are billions of people here on planet Earth. But as vast and great as God is, David says he treats me like I'm the only one. He makes it personal. The Lord is my shepherd. Hundreds of years later, Jesus would take this a step further. He, uh, he said, not only is God your shepherd, he referred to himself as the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Man, think about that for a moment. Even if everybody else forgets about you, Jesus won't. Jesus cares for you greatly. He's a good shepherd. No one's ever cared for me like Jesus. When I need him the most, he's always right there. And listen, as sheep, we all need a shepherd. To the person who thinks they've got it all figured out, the person that's self-sufficient, 
They don't have much use for this psalm. They don't really care for this. This, does, this doesn't mean much to them. They, they think they're good to go on their own. That God and Jesus and shepherd stuff, that's just a crutch for you Christians. But to those of us that understand that I'm just a sheep in need of a savior, this psalm hits a little bit differently, doesn't it? There's no more comforting words than this. The Lord is my shepherd. And as a result, David const, uh, confidently declares, I shall not want. If you're taking notes today, that's our first point today. We have no want. When the Lord is our shepherd, we have no want. Now, we live in a world filled with people who are discontent, right? People always looking for more, wanting more, looking for bigger, better, looking for the upgrade, looking at what other sheep might have. Even I've been guilty of that. Man, what's going on in their pasture over there? Right? Lord, Lord I trust you like they do. I serve you like they do. But their pasture seems to be a little bit better than, how come their pasture is greener than mine? Well, we need to understand that our shepherd, the Lord, has given us everything we need. If another sheep has a different pasture or a different level of provision, what is that to me? God knows what they need just as much as he knows what I need. So since God has provided all of David's needs, he recognizes that he lacks for nothing. Everything he needed was provided by the good shepherd who knows exactly what he needs. So I just encourage us to be careful to not get so caught up in jealousy or stuff and possessions that we become spoiled and entitled and ungrateful, always wanting more. See, some Christians, they trust God for their eternal provision, but trust elsewhere for their daily provisions, right? They, they trust God for their eternity, that he can save their soul from hell, but they look elsewhere to trust him for their provision for today. What about us? Do we look to our shepherd for today's provision, or do we look somewhere else? David's, David's confident was in his shepherd. He was, he was confident in the fact that the Lord's provision was good for his eternity and for his today. He said, I shall not want. It's both a declaration and a decision. I shall not want. He's my shepherd, therefore I lack for nothing. And he's my shepherd, so I choose not to want anything more than what my shepherd has provided for me already. Your shepherd knows exactly what you need and when you need it. Every part of our lives as his sheep, God cares for. He wants to be involved and present every step of the way. The shepherd is looking out for you. He knows exactly what you need. And, and David goes on, verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
So David is saying, man, there's all kinds of ways that God, the good shepherd, is involved in our lives. And he starts with, he makes me lie down. Now, this is one, if you're like me, you, you might struggle with a little bit. First of all, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. You, try, you trying to make me do something? Right? We don't like to be told what to do, sometimes even when it's from God. But the good shepherd, sometimes he makes us lie down. Even when we don't realize it because we've been running on fumes, we've been running ragged, busy doing this, that, and the other. We've gotten used to running exhausted, running depleted and overwhelmed that sometimes the shepherd just has to step in and impose rest on us. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Your toddler, your young one is exhausted and you tell them, hey, it's time to lay down for a nap. Oh, I'm not tired. I'm not tired, Mom. No, no, you need to lay down. See, we as parents, we know what our children need more than they do. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. It's the same with our Good Shepherd. Sometimes you just need to take a nap. That's a word for somebody this morning, right? You just need to go home, have a good lunch, and take a nap. That's all right. Do it. Enjoy it. But be back here at 6 o'clock. Sometimes God makes us lie down, and, and it's good for us, right? Where does he cause us to lie down in? Green pastures. It's not some dried out, barren, thorny ground. God places us in pastures that are good for us. There is nourishment, there is rest, there is supply in the green pasture that he makes us lie down in. Have you ever thought about this, that maybe the reason you are at Calvary Maybe the reason you are attending this church, maybe the reason you're uh, in that life group or went to that meetup or are serving on that dream team is because God has led you to that green pasture for this season. Instead of being curious and restless about other pastures, why not just lie down in the green pasture where the shepherd has led you to right now? Trust the shepherd as he makes you lie down there. Trust that he knows and he has his reasons for that particular pasture, for that particular season. And then notice he goes on, he leads us to still waters. He leads me to still waters. Did you know that sheep actually prefer to drink from still waters? Some sheep go their entire life without drinking from a stream or any sort of running water. They see running water as a threat to them. Like if it gets too strong of a current, maybe they'll get swept away in the current. Or maybe if they get too wet with that running water, it'll cause their wool to be heavy and then they might slip and, and fall and worst case scenario, drown right there in the river. So what a lot of shepherds do is that they provide water for the sheep right there in the trough. The shepherd brings the refreshing water to the sheep. There's something peaceful and soothing about still water to sheep. Well, we can trust God to bring the right sources of water and refreshing to us. He has a way of leading us to the right waters at the right time, right where we need to be. 
right? So if you've got some turmoil happening in your life, if you've got some rushing waters that are in your life, let the shepherd lead you to still water and let him restore your soul. That's what he says next. He restores my soul. A result of letting God be your shepherd, a result of letting God lead your life is that your soul is restored. He forgives us. He brings peace between us and the Father, which allows us then to stay calm even in times of trouble and turmoil and stress. David keeps going, going on with the good things that the good shepherd has for us. He says that then he leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me. That tells us that we should allow the shepherd to be our guide. He guides us. He leads us. He guides us through life. And he will never let us get out of righteous living. Did you notice the description there of the path? Paths of righteousness. It almost kind of harkens back to week one, Psalm one, remember? The two paths, there's the way of the righteous and the, the way of the wicked. Listen, the good shepherd will never lead you out of the path of righteousness. He ne never leads us to, uh, to sin. He never leads us to bad behavior or unrighteousness. Now, culture says that you don't need to go down the path of righteousness just find the path of happiness. After all, all paths lead to God anyways. It's a wide path. There, there's room for all expressions, all versions of truth. So live it up. Do what feels good in the moment. Just go ahead and live your version of truth. The path is plenty wide for you. Well, that's not what Jesus said at all, is it? In Matthew 7, he says this about the pathways. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are, are many. There's a lot of people on that road. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. But we don't really camp out on that verse much, right? Jesus is kind of bold there saying, very few people are gonna not be on the path to destruction. There's plenty of room. Everyone thinks that, that their path is gonna eventually lead to God or eventually lead to heaven. But, but Jesus said, no, it's a, it's a narrow way. It's not a path of sin and unrighteousness. It's a path of righteousness. And listen, the path of righteousness might be narrow, but it's right. Amen. So better to go the narrow path with the shepherd than the wide path to destruction without the shepherd. Right? He has a way of getting us on the right path. You know, a lot of times when I'm driving somewhere I haven't been, I'll turn that navigational app on my phone, and if I happen to miss a turn or, or whatever traffic got, it'll reroute me. It'll talk to me and say, no, now you need to get back on this, this path. This is the, the right way. It has a way of leading me to the right path. So it is with the good shepherd. When we get off the path of righteousness, he has a way of getting, uh, uh, not over there, over here, sheep. Then he goes on in verse four and says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So David's tone, it shifts just a little bit here. For the first three verses, uh, David's been mentioning good seasons, good times, green pastures, still waters, righteous pathways. But there's also seasons in our, in our lives that are seasons in the valley, even seasons in the valley of the shadow of death. And the author David, he was well acquainted with, with that valley. He had several brushes with death, right? Even as a shepherd, he came face to face with a wild bear that he had to kill. Another instance, a wild lion that he had to fend off to protect his sheep. He was hunted down by the maniac King Saul who wanted David dead. Then later in life, as he became king, uh, he was warrior and a, a leader of the armies who faced many battles. He understood the valley of the shadow of death. But every time that David's life was threatened and he was in danger, he knew his shepherd was near. Therefore, he didn't have to be afraid. See, with the good shepherd, we have no fear. David could rest in the assurance that the presence of the shepherd was always close by. David said, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Now, notice right there that David switches from third person talking about God to first person talking to God. Earlier, it was he makes me, he leads me, he restores now it's you. You are with me. It's almost, it's even more personal as he's had these uh, close interactions with death. Right? He's like, you are with me. It's extra personal to him. He learned to trust God no matter what he was facing. And he could face it without fear, without being afraid because the shepherd was near. You are with me. And listen, God doesn't lead us to the valley and abandon us there. He promises, he promises us that he's gonna be with us. That's his promise to us. In the green pastures, yes. And also, in the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us. And David understood that the valley was not the destination. He didn't say, even though I walk to the valley, even though I walk through the valley. The valley is not the destination. Some of you might be feeling that way. You feel like you finally arrived at your destination and it's nothing but valleys. It's been a long season in the valley of the shadow of death. Let me encourage you with two things. Number one, make sure that Jesus, the good shepherd, hasn't been trying to get a hold of you and lead you out of the valley and you've chosen to stay there, you've become accustomed to that when the shepherd's trying to get you through it. And then number two, remember that, that the shepherd has a rod and a staff to comfort you. That rod the shepherd uses to fend off would-be attackers and wolves and bears and lions, those that would try to attack you. And then on the other, other side, that's a curved staff to gently pull you in when you're in harm's way. 
His rod and staff are there for you. So you can be comforted with that today. Then verse five, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So, I mean, David, again, he's just packing a lot into one verse here. He said, you prepare a table before me. Who's preparing the table? The Lord, the good shepherd. He's the one that's preparing the table for us. That's pretty cool that God himself is preparing a table for us. Now, back then, sharing a meal with someone was pretty significant. It was no little thing. To eat and drink with someone at their table forged a bond, uh, loyalty, and love with one another. It often sealed a covenant between the two parties as well. So to be God's guest at dinner was more than some sort of casual interaction. This was special stuff. And did you notice where this took place? It was in the presence of my enemies. He prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The table of the Lord, his provision, isn't just limited to green pastures. The goodness and care of the Lord extends even into the middle of the battle, into, even into the middle of the presence of your enemies. Soldiers, veterans, you can understand this, what it's like to be in the middle of conflict, the middle of a war, even in those times, especially in those times. You need those times where you can just slow down and sit at the table and enjoy a moment of nourishment and rest. Well, this life is a battle too, isn't it? We are all in a spiritual battle. We're all in a spiritual conflict and God is preparing a table for his people even in the middle of your enemies. So we stay close to our shepherd and God, he defends us against our enemies and then he provides a table for us, a magnificent feast. So God not only has the power to protect us, he has the provision to feed us. We might be harassed, we might be threatened, and the enemy hot on our tail. But at the same time, we are breaking bread with the shepherd. We get to eat with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he goes on, you anoint my head with oil. Three things I discovered about oil when studying for the message, number one, sheep, uh, they get harassed and badgered and, and pestered uh, by flies and mosquitoes and gnats and other parasites. Some of those even work their way into their ear where they can plant their eggs, uh, which would cause a lot of frustration and irritation for the sheep. Some would even uh, try to go find a tree or a rock and pound their head just to get some relief of those eggs that were planted in their ears. Well, back then, a good shepherd, a, a proactive shepherd, would go ahead and, and get oil and anoint that sheep's head with oil which would keep the flies and the pests and the mosquitoes away from it. Another thing about oil, anointing oil was custom of courtesy and respect and hospitality that a host would show toward the guest. Now remember, David sees himself as a guest at the Lord's table who has invited him to dinner, who now anoints him pours lavish abundance over him so much that David's cup overflows. 
And then thirdly, we know that in the Bible that the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The oil of the Holy Spirit. That is our best source. That is our best resource, the Holy Spirit. When we live our lives with the Spirit of God in us, he protects us from the enemy. He anoints our head with oil, protecting uh, from the enemy, planting those eggs of frustration and irritation and destruction in us. When the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, we then begin to act like him and talk like him, and sound like him, and overflow with him. The oil of the Holy Spirit never runs out. That's why the cup overflows with the Holy Spirit. And then David wraps up the psalm in verse six. He brings it to a climactic ending here. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever we have no want we have no fear we do have goodness mercy and eternal life one commentary I read said that mercy can be interchanged with steadfast love or faithful love now a lot of shepherds they have sheep dogs that help them that help keep the help keep the sheep in line and keep them from wandering. Pastor Tony Evans, he put it this way, the divine shepherd has two sheepdogs named goodness and faithful love. They are there to keep driving you back to fellowship with the great shepherd so that you may dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. That's the promise to us today. We get to do this life with God forever. The great shepherd is with us right now on Sunday. He'll be with us tomorrow and Tuesday and the day after that. And we get to dwell with him forever. It's every single day, every single breath of this life and every single day of our afterlife. So as if all those other benefits weren't enough, Green pastures, still waters, righteous paths, overflowing oil. Here comes goodness and mercy and steadfast love and faithful love. And it's going to follow me all my days. And I'm going to get to go to heaven where I live with him forever. We will never stop walking with his goodness and his mercy. Aren't you thankful for the good shepherd? Lord is my shepherd.